welcome to episode 31 of Bird Banter with Boreal Bruce on location this year. Sorry, on location this episode and maybe this year um, at the Hillierton Marsh Research and Education Center. Today we've had, uh, we're about to have an amazing day uh, with, um, it's our hummingbird garden party, which there's some debate whether we should be calling it the pollinator picnic. Um, uh, we have the, our banding crew is operating. We're trying to catch hummingbirds. Uh, we have a bunch of vendors that are here and it's really a, our big day. We're hoping to get uh, over a hundred people today and um, it's, uh, it's, it's gonna be an awesome day and we're gonna be going around um, to check out some of the highlights of the day. Just saw some wax wings go over. Just on the way to aquatics, going up the rise. There was a girl in grade four that came here once. Yeah. And she crested the hill here and she goes, ah, wetland, nature's filter. And I was like, <laughs> I was wondering if like, it was like a Ducks Unlimited commercial or yeah. what it was, but what it was so perfect. It was like nature's filter. It's here. It's like they're having fun. What uh, what you been catching, Iggy? Uh, lots of leeches, snails. We oh, yeah. just let a frog go. Cool. And then um, what you got? Some fish, some sticklebacks. Oh, nice. One minnow. Another leech. Yeah, there's so there's leeches. lots of um, like the pie builds eat leeches. Mm. And um, and the, the interesting part when the marsh was created, like there was the water was just pumped from the the blanche, so yeah. leeches weren't introduced here. Mm. But when we were banding ducks, we'd often find leeches on the ducks. Oh. So I think that's there's probably how they... They probably brought them in. Uh, yeah. I've heard of like some benthic macros dispersing by like waterfowl. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. What do you got, sir? I don't know. There, it's something at the bottom that was stirring up dirt. Oh. Dirt. Tons of cool stuff. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe the marsh monster. <laughs> Oh, you found two snails. Nice. Many frogs as there were last year, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, there seem to be. And uh, a lot of the frogs are even just on the berm. When you're walking along, you'll see them jump up. But uh, um, but because we often have kids in this area every day, they're kind of... <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got a water scorpion. You see this one here? This one right here is called a water scorpion. Does it sting? Uh, I've never been stung by one, but maybe. Um, and I think their gills are actually in the tail. So that's how they can breathe underwater. That's neat. We don't catch very many of those. Did you catch it? No. Awesome. I think it came from further out there. Cool. You can touch that one Are you having fun today? Yeah. I found a, I found a bigger one than that, but it escaped somehow. It escaped? Oh, and you got a minnow too. Nice. Good job. So we have um, uh, opportunity to do some banding with uh, York University. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're really keen on that. So one of the one of the guys that's here, he's here for two weeks. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be working on the on shorebirds, yep. and the professor, her name is Laura McKinnon, mm -hmm. is hoping to do shorebird banding here twice a year once in the spring okay. and then again in august so we get them on their return migration the most of the banding they do is just on uh, the breeding grounds okay so uh, the birds in migration are harder to catch so and there's uh, they're going to do it here and at a place called tommy thompson park which is on the leslie street spit in toronto and so uh, the guy we're going to meet in a minute, Nigel Shaw, is um, he kind of figured out how to catch shorebirds in migration. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Nigel uh, used to work at Tommy Thompson, and over the years he kind of figured it out. Mm -hmm. So um, we can do a soundbite of the, there's the calls going right now, so we can go close to it. So um, what they do is they put up decoys and the sound and when he was first talking about banding here i thought we'd have to put the nets up right down in the mud yeah. because that's where they are but they um yeah. 
the call attracts them and they can uh, catch them right in the nets right on the berm. So it's uh, way easier than I thought it was going to be. How we doing, Nigel? Not too bad. Right on. Well, 15. 15? Um, oh, what do we have here? Uh, Semi-pea. Semi-palmated sandpiper. Yeah. Beautiful. Got them at one least and one semi-palmated plover so far. Yeah. From Merlin, you gotta keep an eye on him. He's come right at him as soon as he hit the net. Yeah, and we had a Merlin in the songbird nets today. Yeah. And it got out. So it was right in the top panel. Yep. Before they could get to it, it was, it was already there's gone. There's at least two what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and there's at the zero. main entrance, there's at least two up there as well. So there's there's lots around. So I'm actually recording for a podcast right now. So you're all hooked up. Okay. So don't swear. When do I ever swear? When have I ever swear? You've never heard me swear. Also, I, I, wanted, I wanted to let you know, so just so, um, yeah. Perfect. So. Okay. So this is what we're doing. We're catching shorebirds. Nice. Um, and when did you get started with the shorebirds? Was it before Tommy Thompson? Um, I've done some training way back yeah. um, with a, a shorebird trainer. Yeah. Um, just to get my sort of, you know my amendment on my permit, and then because of you know doing more raptors, I, I spent my time with raptors. Yeah. I didn't get to do much. And it's not until really I got back with Tommy Thompson. Yeah. I now noticed I got a massive you know supply of birds all all season long, yeah. spring and fall. Um, different setup. Um, we uh, we really couldn't do much else with um, you know with. Uh, you know, with yeah. where we had, so we couldn't do it like we do in the Arctic. So we had to uh, adapt. We, we came up with monofilament nets, which are a lot more invisible. Yeah. Uh, we're in open beach. We first started out with just nets, uh, walk birds along the beach, flush them in. Very time consuming and, and a, yeah. a low payback. So then we started putting play, uh, just uh, playback of their calls. All of a sudden, we, our numbers grew and grew and grew. And that's all we're really using today because there's no mud for them to land on. If we had some place to, they could we were, they were landing, we'd put decoys in a net with those because they'll come to the decoys. So our main catching method was these nets, playback with some decoys. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the few seasons I did, we did over 17, 1,800 birds down there of 18 species too. So that, those are your banding numbers? Those are our banding numbers. Wow, that's um, incredible. So we had a good supply of spring data. Yeah. And then a, a, a longer, excellent, uh, you know, a lot of juvenile birds in the fall. So he said, yeah. These juveniles are using inland flight. Yeah, we need spots. Yeah, you know, that's what we figure now. If we don't have these spots, then what? You know, these things would be feeding in puddles. Yeah, and a lot of these very sharp keel, very low muscle mass, and no fat right now. They're just coming in. Yeah. So without this, that's it. Yeah. So these birds are all breeding up in the Arctic right now. Ar all Arctic yeah. breeders. Gotcha. Uh, so this is not even halfway for them. Yeah. You know, these are South American, Argentina. You know. Yeah. Venezuela is a good cool. spot, but yeah, I think a lot of them on the eastern side got jump off Florida, yep. Cuba, and across. And um, just to let the listeners know, uh, Nigel was here in the spring for three days, and we got over 80. Yeah, over 80. And, and what was that, about six species, um, I think? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, down, which is Dunlin, semi palmy plovers, it's very sand. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and it's about the same to now. It's more the uh, semi palmy plovers and sand, uh, sandpipers and these uh, right now. But I think uh, we had a big, couple of big flocks with yellow legs in them. Yeah. Um, they came to have a look, but yesterday being so windy, yeah, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't really come in and have a look. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we also have uh, Kaz here, and Kaz is a. Uh, you have your masters already, right? First year masters. First year masters Soon at, at York with uh, Laura McKinnon. Yeah, Laura McKinnon. Uh, yeah, she and works on um, all kinds of um, shorebirds and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, Churchill, Churchill mostly, but we've opened up uh, projects into um, Toronto, uh, Downsview Park specifically. Um, yeah. Uh, looking at killdeer um, survival rates and their nesting ah. habits and stuff. So. Cool. Uh, and how are you, how are you catching those? Uh, so uh, we're catching those with bow nets for the most oh, part. Oh, cool. So we're cool. really targeted. We, um, yeah. Uh, Killdeer are ground nesting shorebirds, so they'll just uh, pick a spot in a parking lot or a farm or something. They've, they've got a few farms in Downs View. Um, just a patch of dirt, they'll lay their eggs right on the ground, they look like little rocks, and then we'll find those, and then we'll put a big bow net down on it. Yeah. And then when the birds come back to roost on the nest, um, we just snap it closed on them, and yeah. then cool. them up and send them on their way. How many did you get? 
Uh, I haven't got any this year. Yeah. I'm working currently okay. on my permits, but um, right. that's the plan. Yeah, we, we went up for one, one day uh, this year with uh, Laura McKinnon, and um, uh, it rained us out the entire time. Too much oh. to ban, so you know, bird safety and all that. We yep. want to make sure that they're, uh, they're Smart. not freezing. Yeah, that makes sense. And the eggs are pretty susceptible to... And you're here rain. for two weeks to gain some shorebird experience. Yep, that's the, that's the plan. So no one, no one better to learn from than Nigel Shaw, that's for sure. Well, hopefully we'll get enough to... Yeah, you know, we got a good diversity of species. I'd like to get some bigger. He's gonna be working with killdeer, so I'd like yep. to get, you know, if we can get. Well, so probably plover was pretty good. Yeah. But I like if we can get some bigger birds, black-bellied or something. Yeah. Those are the kind of birds gonna be handling. Yeah. Uh, Missing won't be as a bigger deal because using a bow net, you just pick them up from underneath the, the net. So, um, and then yep. aging and sexing is he's working on. So it's pretty perfect, pretty simple right now this time of year. The well, um, species anyway. The other cool thing, Nigel and I have both been talking with Laura. McKinnon, Dr. McKinnon, about um, potentially expanding this into a full-fledged project where we'd be banding uh, twice a year here and twice a year at Tommy Thompson. So, um, and what what is special, either one of you two here, about um, about getting birds during the migration rather than just on their breeding ground? Well, it gives you, and it gives you a little picture of, of, of the timing of this, this the the flight. Um, using what kind of spots they're using to feed. Um, in spring, they had a lot of these pop-up spots, a uh, flooded field. Yep. All of a sudden, they're feeding in that. And then as soon as it dries up, you know, they move. But in the spring, they move fast. We even noticed that here. Yeah. You know, it didn't take long for them. They're in the, they want to go to the Arctic. They want to get breeding. Uh, they want to get out of here. So, you know, we it's now gives us a picture of what's actually using this. Yeah. Um, and then if there's any stopover. Right. See if these birds are actually staying to feed. And if they are, the next step when full-fledged, do some invertebrate studies and see what's actually in the mud. Yes. And that'll yeah. give us another idea too. And we we were disappointed. We were trying to buy some, Ducks Unlimited was trying to buy some land to set up a shorebird habitat here. Um, so that's still the goal is to, to oh, get some, yes. which will yeah. make things yeah. um, uh, even better. And there, or there may be, we we're in discussions with Ducks Unlimited about modifying the cell to, yeah. um, to hold mud and well, um, because so of the, the method we need, you, you don't really to for natural trapping them. You don't, you know, we, we're not really interfering with the feeding air. If you make you build a place like that, you put some sand so we can put yeah. decoys in that. We're bringing the birds to that. That's what I liked about Tommy Thompson. It's a beach. They're not feeding out. They're feeding in the areas around. Yeah. So we're not actually interfering with that breeding at the time because they're yeah. not. They'll fly off to cell two and they'll spend the day there feeding. Yeah. Uh, but we're not interfering. We because we bend. You know, we're, I use Malcolm Sharp. They're very good band. It's very fast. Yeah. The birds are you know, yep. minutes, held for minutes in the hand. Perfect. And uh, they're off. And uh, then they're re-seen, the birds have been yep. re-seen. So uh, if right we on. can prove that these supper was such a, such a necessity, that we do need these things, Yeah. we can have a network. There'll be a network of places where every year, if, if they have to be modified, like drop in the water, they can be yep. dropped down for a couple of months and then put, put back. Yeah. And now you now provide those birds that energy to make it as far as they need to Perfect. go. Perfect. And I've, I've always been curious because when we do see those um, flooded fields, um, whether they're really getting any nutrient value out of that. Yeah, so I wonder about that. They're, they see the, look at the probing in the soil. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's in the soil. You don't yeah. know, right? And it was, it was cool. I'm going to be talking to Olivia about this, but she banded a short-billed dowager in Churchill that flew over the modus tower here. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, you very, know, for the odds super cool. actually hit, yeah. you know, from Churchill. Now, yeah. you know, you can, if you drew a direct line, yeah. And now it's going to hit, you know, there's such an array around the Great Lakes of Modus. Yeah. It's going to hit at least one or two of those. Cool. And you can now track that bird. Yeah, Just yeah. through that. Right on. Well, th I, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And uh, no. good luck the rest of uh, the time you're here. Well, I think we'll do uh, quite a few more. Right on. All Let's right. hope. Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so here we are uh, with uh, Vic Roach at the marsh. He's a longtime marsh supporter. And we really appreciate you bringing that... Uh, monarch out this morning yeah. so that kids had a chance to see it so just uh, tell us what you've been doing with uh, with the uh, caterpillars and well, stuff. Well this year I've, uh, I've got 29 re released so far and I have uh, six more at home. Yeah? One's still in a caterpillar form right on. but the rest are... And what do you what do you do you just uh, you're going to the milkweed plants? I, yeah and I and I and I take them off the milkweed plant and I have several clear plastic jars. I put milkweed in every day, yep. a little piece in every day, and, and they eat it. Uh, and then they 
like you say, they J. Yeah. And they're a chrysalis. Yeah. And then that is amazing to see that. Yeah. And then when they come out of the chrysalis, that's another amazing thing. Why is it? Why is that so oh, amazing? Oh, just every time they just it just yeah. poof. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they're so large. I don't know how they fit in there. Yeah. They're, they're like three times the size of a chrysalis. Yeah. Yeah. I and just, it's, this seems to be a growing thing. Like I've, uh, people call me all the time to tell me uh, how many they do, and they yeah. they feel like they're really helping nature out by. Yeah. Um, even though we know the monarchs don't eat, but this way we know a bird's not going to eat the caterpillar. That's so. right. I, I used to put a, a big screen over top of one of mine yeah. whenever I had any in there, but uh, just to keep the birds away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and also the kind of cool thing is that um, milkweed, because they only eat milkweed. Yeah. And milkweed makes them taste bad to birds. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind yeah. of uh, yeah. it's kind of it. But I often think that it's a bad strategy to depend on one plant. Yes. Um, especially when people were trying to get rid of milkweed yeah. for so yeah. long. Yeah. Um, and now people are encouraging milkweed That's so right. that they can help the monarchs. Yeah. So, so very cool. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we really appreciate you bringing yeah. that out today. Oh, yeah. The kids yeah. were all, yeah. And, yeah. We, and for this morning, you said that yours emerged two hours before yeah. you uh, arrived. 6.30. 6.30 this morning, yeah. and you got so here about I, I, 9. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I, tried, I said, well, maybe this one will hold off. But yeah. uh, they don't okay. hold off. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Good. Okay, Good. take care. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So you're anyway, your yeah. podcast star now. Yeah. How's it going? Good. Is it going? Uh, getting lots of people. Oh yeah, lots of nice. questions. Okay. Um, do you mind if I do um, interview for a podcast? Okay. Awesome. So where where are where are your bees? Where where do you do your thing? Right on Sutton Bay. Right on Sutton Bay. Yeah. Hence, so hence the name Sutton Bay, yeah, honey. So we'll in, behind, in behind Dr. Tarp. Okay. Um, yeah. I have a spot. 60 acres on the lake cool and, uh, and you do a lot of the like just clearly what we we're hearing there yeah a lot we, of... we try to we we get to uh, this and then we've done the uh, Inglehart Fall Fair the last couple of years you okay know, just to educate and, and what's I'd... what's the key thing that you want people to take away from what you're talking about bees um, well I guess to be watch what you're spraying you know yeah. um, if you can leave your dandelions in the spring, right? That's their major food. That's the first one of the first things that they eat in the spring. Yeah. Um, so leave them a little longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another not. There's not much to it. Right on. Yeah. And uh, how many how many hives would you have? We're running about uh, 90 right now. 90. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we 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 had a huge losses. Um, 2022 okay um and we managed to like we lost 80 percent from from mites from mites from okay mites. that's um, rona mites is it, it, it's a, a parasite on the bees yeah um weakens them then they get sick and, and can't make it through the winter and you can't they can't be inoculated oh anyway. yeah we well oh. we treat and yeah. so that was um it was kind of uh it was a long dry summer so there wasn't a lot of forage the bees were stressed to begin with yeah um and because it was such a long summer, we didn't think we we should have did an extra mite treatment, yeah. which we didn't. Um, so then that was just kind of the downfall. So yeah. last year we did an extra treatment. Um, this year we came through with only 10% loss. Oh, okay. And from there, I think we started with 45 hives in the spring, split them all, yeah. caught a few swarms, and uh, yeah, we're up to 90 now. Neat. Yeah. Cool. And, and then, um, do, do the bees... Um, uh, so for people that um, just, because you hear about all these people that are calling themselves homesteaders and stuff yep. now, did uh, having a hive make a big difference in their gardens? Or? It would, for sure. Um, yeah. it, it, it takes, like, no, uh, honeybees will not go to just any flower. So I've had people from, like, the Hascat farms right. um, ask me, and I have Hascat bushes, and my bees, like, they're... 30 feet away will not touch them because oh. the flower is so deep yeah like they they're unless there's the only source then they'll yep. fight to get it but like the yep. majority of my hascaps are uh, pollinated by and are uh, they more bees. are they okay do they are they more t um likely to go for native species of flowers or does it doesn't really matter it's whatever like they'll yeah so 
like my place looks like this like it's all yep. meadows and okay and um so they're on all the all the fruit trees in the spring like yep. uh, cherry and yeah. hawthorn that's stuff. Cool. um and they'll only travel as far as they have to gotcha. so they'll travel up to five kilometers yeah if there's nothing five kilometers five kilometers wow. so that's a yeah essentially a long, a long oh, yeah. way for a little bee to be yeah cruising huh but yeah so if they have to, that's how far they'll go. But yeah. generally, they'll stay as close to yeah. home as possible. We should really change the name of the um, of our day today because we've been talking for a while that we should call it the pollinator picnic instead of the Hummingbird uh, uh, Garden Party. But uh, we appreciate you coming out no and problem. sharing all this knowledge. I hope you've been able to sell a few oh, jars yeah. to people. Oh, yeah. And no, it's good talking. Like, lots of people have questions. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you've got this. And... You've got this cool little hive here too. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were, I'm just curious, going back to you splitting, so do, do you need to have two queens? To... So the way we do it is called a, it's kind of like a walkaway split. So we'll take, we'll make sure that the one hive, one box will have the queen. Yeah. Like we'll, and in the spring we have them stacked too high. Um, then we'll take the one without the queen and we'll move it. We'll make sure that it has all the resources it needs to make a new queen, like the eggs okay. and, and food and whatnot. Wow. And then they'll make a new queen, so then anywhere from three three to four weeks later, they'll yep. have a new laying queen if all the weather cooperates and then yep. she can do her mating flight. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So this one actually is queenless, and they're making a new queen, and it's in this little... Uh, really? There'd be like a little peanut shaped thing somewhere yeah. around there. And yeah. and how do they make a new queen? Just... So it's what they feed her. Okay. So, so in that cup, they'll fill the bottom of it with royal jelly. Royal, I was wondering. Yeah, yeah and then I've they'll find term. like a three or four day old egg, something okay. like that. Yeah. My wife knows more about queen rearing because she does yeah. it. Okay. Um, and then they'll drop the egg on top of that and then they'll slowly build the cone. It looks like a peanut. Yeah. And uh, ever yeah. cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks, thanks a lot. No that problem. was great. <laughs> that was a sweet talk. Um, we have a hummingbird if anyone wants to see it banded. There's a hummingbird being about to be banded if anyone wants to check that out. Alright, so... Okay, nice and straight. Okay, so we need you to put one hand really flat, just like that. Okay, this this fella's been around a while, and I don't anticipate he's going to sit very long. Uh, we've had most of them have sat, but very wiggly and uh, experienced. Alright, so we're just going to see if we can trick him into sitting. Okay, flat as you can. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. There you go. Look up here. Smile. There you go. Sorry, Miss. No, not at all. Good. Thank you very much. Does that kind of like calm them, rubbing them? No, what, what happens is she's trying to get it to fold its legs like this. Oh. So then it can't, it's kind of like us trying to jump from our knees. Oh, I see. So then what often she'll do is, so the bird will stay like that, and then she'll hit the bottom of the hand, and the bird sort of hops up and then pushes off its feet. Oh, and then, oh interesting, these little bird nerds. Yeah. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi. Hi, how are you? Hey. Thanks for coming out. How's it going? You got a great uh, turnout today. Eh? Yeah, this is yeah. Uh, wonderful yeah, today. Fantastic. So educational and delightful. Yeah, it's fun. Nature loving. Well, it's nice too that we're starting to get um, more uh, vendors coming out. And, um, yeah. And uh, with um, Chanoir is, um, I think we're going to try to promote it a bit more. They uh, they sell shade grown coffee, which is way better for the birds. Because when they, um, so basically what they do is they, just like the name suggests, the coffee plants are in the shade, so they keep the bigger trees around. Um, okay. versus cutting all the trees and growing them like more like a traditional farming method. So you get greater bird diversity where the, and they say that the coffee uh, tastes better and is more, um, the birds will control a lot of the insects that might go after the coffee. 
That is so. interesting, Murph, because yeah. uh, I was in Costa Rica a few years ago, and we went to a plantation, and yeah. they actually said they tried to grow their coffee yeah. under the shade of those sort of great big, yeah. uh, you know, life trees that they always yeah. see. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, so. So I think yeah. on our website we're going to start um, promoting that more, and then. Um, and then people know to go to Chenoir for to buy their shade grown yeah, coffee. So it's sort of and they also the uh, it's called uh, uh, Jacob. <laughs> Why am I talking about it when this is the guy that knows? <laughs> what is the deal on Las Chicas? They're great. I love their coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important thing. Yeah. It really is so, coffee. Yeah. So Las Chicas, they um, they're. Uh, two sisters that um, basically they get their beans directly from their grandfather's farm in Nicaragua and they roast them uh, just down in Toronto area and what's great about them too is that the all the coffee is actually shade grown which um, a lot of coffee places or a lot of coffee it's either sun-grown or shade-grown uh, sun-grown is like a really intensive like monoculture and shade-grown uh, basically has a lot more biodiversity there so it's a lot better for the birds for the bugs that are there um, and just generally a lot better for and La Chicas is also What's the other? Ethically, ethically sourced? Yes. Yes. So it's like a fair trade situation. Yes, exactly, yeah. Okay. yeah. So they have great coffee and... Uh, and what's the relationship between Chanoir and La Chicas? Yeah, so uh, Chanoir actually just gets the, the, the beans from Las Chicas. Um, that's the beans that we use. Um, and we also sell, sell beans. We can grind your coffee for you. That, and uh, Paul, do you know anything else about Las Chicas? <laughs> uh, so the Las Chicas, they're, they're from Southern Ontario. So they... Um, uh, there are two sisters that run the, uh, the roaster yep. in St. Thomas. So they're from Nicaragua originally, and what they've done is they uh, they import the coffee from their grandparents, uh, plant, uh, their grandfather's plantation. He started it, so her, it, their father now runs the plantation. So it's a Canadian company that's also importing stuff from Nicaragua, and then they roast it in southern Ontario, and then they sell it all over Ontario right now. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. So a lot of the coffee is shade grown, and then uh, yeah. heat heat um, it's basically sun roasted. So it's very fair trade. It's fair trade, so the people uh, um, there are getting a fair price for the coffee and stuff like that as well and then they co-op with all the people within the uh, community so some of the small farmers that can't get their stuff to trade they're able to bring it into the co-op and then they can sell their coffee with that and then they, they uh, and then they get it for a fair price and stuff like that. Mm. cool yeah. all the way from nicaragua yeah <laughs> cool well that was perfect <laughs> and we even recycle a lot of our, our grinds and stuff like that we keep it and we have people in town that will use it in their gardens or for uh, growing uh, um, uh, like worms and stuff like that and then I have my cousin actually Morgan Bowen actually okay. takes a lot of it we give it to him and he uses it for his big compost and they have a big garden that they sell and, yeah. uh, and stuff like that too so okay yeah. cool huh. yeah. cool very interesting right on well thanks for coming today John <laughs> I was coming awesome so um I will uh, just start out, um, just uh, tell me your name. I'm Margaret. I'm Claudia. And my name is Iggy. And where are you from, Iggy? Pennsylvania. Okay, Margaret? New Hampshire. Hamilton. Hamilton, <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll start with you, Iggy. Why did you want to come to the Marsh, and how did you find out about it? Yeah, well, I just finished my bachelor's in wildlife conservation, and I pretty sure I want to do a career in birds and I used ornithology exchange and the Texas A&M University's job board to look for stuff to start out. I found the marsh. I was like, wow, that like songbird and owls banding, that's pretty much exactly what I want to start out doing. And then the rest is history. Alrighty. I got accepted graciously and I'm having a great time <laughs> Graciously. Um, <laughs> uh, Margaret. Uh, very similar story except I graduated a couple years ago and was probably avoiding entering data from my last job and scrolling through ornithology exchange. <laughs> okay, nice. Because um, I'm really wanting to get more experience with nest nets and songbirds. Yeah, so. cool. 
and Claudia. Right, so I just finished uh, the environmental technician program at Niagara College and didn't really know what I wanted to do so I decided to come here to try it out because I really enjoy birds and just wanted to learn so I'm just here volunteering for a week or so. Awesome. See how it goes. Okay and Margaret we'll start with you on this next question. Um, are you familiar with the term spark bird? No. Okay this is new to me as well. I think I heard the term maybe a year ago and so um, a spark bird is I'm wondering if you had a bird that sparked your interest in birding and ornithology. That's a good question. I'm not sure I can pin down the one that started me birding, but the one that started me wanting a career in birds is the common loon, because that was my first research bird. A common loon? Yeah. How'd you I, do that? I was working with the Loon Preservation Committee in northern New Hampshire, um, and they gave me a binder with every loon, every loon territory lake in the county and a kayak to put on top of my car and sent me off to go check the lakes three times a summer, or three, three times each lake. That was your summer. job? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It was great. That's amazing. And now here you are volunteering <laughs> at the Hillerton Marsh. Um, uh, that's cool because a loon is uh, um, very dear to me because I was fortunate that uh, we had a cottage and we always had loons. And to know that loons are getting into trouble is... is um, and how, how is the loon population doing? It's slowly increasing still in New Hampshire at least. Oh, um, that's great news. I know, or at least was as of 2020, because yeah. that was when I was And I'm not job. very familiar with New Hampshire. Is it Lake Country? Not really, and not in the way that, it, that Lake Country is up here, I'm guessing. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, so Coas County is the, the tip of New Hampshire. It takes about three hours to drive the, the center of it, I think. Okay. And there are 64 lakes that are suitable for loons in that area. Okay, and... Um, I know I'm going diverging a little bit here, but this is cool. Uh, do lakes need to have bays to have loons? The, so all of these lakes are pretty small, um, except for Connecticut, the Connecticut lakes, and they all do. So I'm not sure okay. what would be a not good lake because we don't have any. What did um, do you know? What the boy said when he saw a seagull fly across the bay? You wanted to call it a bagel? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't even know if that's the, the right joke or not. Um, okay, um, Iggy, do you have a spark okay. bird? This, it's a hard question for me because I don't think there's a single species that sparked my interest in birding. If the accurate answer is probably that there's 125 species that did. Oh, because I, I like got it. into birding when I took my vertebrate zoology lab course, my third year of college. Uh, the lecture was just general vertebrate zoology, vertebrate evolutionary history, stuff like that. The lab was North American vertebrate ID. And there were five sections, one for fish, reptiles, birds, amphibians, mammals, in that order. Um, when we got to birds, it was a huge shift because fish was just 59 species, reptiles was 60, birds was 125. So I was like, uh, if I'm going to get a good grade on this exam, yeah. I need to study. And when I was studying, I used um, mainly the Sibley's Field Guide to the East to study. It was just so encapsulating to me. I found myself just loving what I was learning about different birds. Um, and then shortly after that, we did our mist netting lab. Um, and the first bird we caught there that really enthralled me was mist netting and learning about birds was a ruby-crowned king. Ah. So that's probably my best answer for my spark bird. Good. And what a commercial for your professor. That was <laughs> yeah. like, that was perfect. Um, that's really cool. I like, I, and the other thing, uh, as you know, when you're studying, so back when I taught my outdoor education course called Terra, um, the kids had a sight exam for birds, not just they getting a sight exam, to say 2020. Um, so they did a sight exam and an ear exam. And so the sight exam was kind of um, sneaky because they'd have to learn male and females on a lot of species. So it was really like learning uh, more and more. Okay, Claudia. I think for me, it was probably the tree swallow. Ah. Uh, we had a lot of them behind my parents' house where I grew up. Yeah. And watching them like flitting over the pond for hours catching bugs was just nice. fantastic. Very cool. The, um, I had a student 
who uh, misunderstood um, when someone said tree swallow. She thought they said tree swallower. <laughs> and so we had this image of this massive bird that was scanning the landscape, swallowing trees. <laughs> That'd be quite the sight. <laughs> and uh, we also had a student, which is kind of neat, that um, so um, when he just became, um, so I would start teaching the kids birds. Um, it was always second semester, so I was starting to teach in February, so they'd just see pictures of birds. And he just, for whatever reason, fell in love with tree swallows. And he found out um, from the evidence of the two breeding bird atlases that the tree swallow population in northern Ontario had diminished by a third. Um, so he, for whatever reason, this, well, I can know because he loved them just by sight, he, um, he and his dad uh, cut enough material to build 100 boxes. So all the mar all the tree swallow boxes here at the marsh were a result of of him um, being disturbed Aww. that the population was going down. So um, we're working on the third uh, breeding bird atlas right now. So it'll be really interesting to see what's happened over the last uh, 25 years. Um, is there a bird um, that you are really hoping to see in the net or see in the hand while you're here that we catch? I'll let you guys go first. There's a handful. Okay. <laughs> well, it's it's a lot easier than asking you what's your favorite bird yeah. because people ask me that all the time, and I I, I usually answer question. I usually answer the most recent one that I've taken out of the net. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, nothing that jumps them? out. All of them. Anything. Boreal owl. Boreal owl. There you go. That's uh, and that's uh, hopefully very achievable. Um, we're on the cusp of uh, outbanding season, so um, hopefully we have a good season. Anything, Claudia? Uh, no? Maybe a red-winged blackbird. Cool. If you have them up here, I'm not really sure. We definitely have them up here, but uh, uh, and they'll be migrating like through. Uh, they're they're the easier to catch in the spring than the fall, yeah. um, but um, maybe um, who knows? Maybe we'll be back in the spring maybe. too. Um, it's my turn. Yeah, um, and you've been here for a wee while, so maybe there's one yeah. we've already got. Or maybe um, well, maybe we could switch the question for you. What what bird have we banded so far that's delighted you the most? Hmm. Well, the male black-throated blue warbler was a huge surprise. It was he was very pretty and in full breeding plumage. That was very cool. I was hoping yeah. to see one of those while I was here. Something we haven't caught. Um, I'll go with two. I would love to see. An evening gross speak. Yep. Maybe not in my hand, because I've heard they bite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they really bite. Um, and a Canada Jay would be very cool. Yes, that would be spectacular. So I'm, I'm hoping, I would love to see both those uh, species for sure. And um, what was it that intrigued you enough about discovering the marsh on the ornithology exchange that made you want to embark on a boreal adventure? Um, well, for me, it was a good balance of exotic, because I'm from the States and I don't travel a lot, and very familiar. So a lot of our breeding birds are the same. So it's like, oh, I have a foot in the door in terms of one aspect of that being ID. Um, and then the other would be just, it's, I've been wanting to learn how to band and extract and run mist nets for a long time. So I thought it was kind of like a match made in heaven for me. Cool, right on. Great answer. <laughs> you should do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I wanted to go north. <laughs> nice. So I spent a lot of the last year and a half in Hawaii and it's too hot there and I'm very happy not to be hot anymore. <laughs> nice, cool, right on. Uh, the landscape up here is fantastic compared to like even just southern Ontario. So. Cool. Right on. Well, uh, I really appreciate all of you making the trek up here. Um, hope you uh, enjoy your stay and uh, thanks for volunteering. Thanks for having no us. No problem. Yeah, right thank on. you. For awesome. Us. Great. Thanks. Okay. So here I am with Elisa Schubert on the trail to the what we call the back corner nets. Uh, we're just taking a break from the... Uh, bevy of activity at the Hummingbird Garden Party. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, so Elisa was our has been our crew leader for two years, 
I'm really hoping she's going to come back for third year. But you are you are off to your yep. new adventure as your teaching mm-hmm. career, and you are going where? To London, England. London, England, yes, you say? To teach science. Right on. <laughs> and what grade are you going to be teaching? So it'll be like grades eight to ten yep. in our speak. Yeah. But that's high school for them. So. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to be very cool. So yeah. be, and you were, so um, last year you did the crew. Yeah. And before you did the crew, you were just coming back from a sheep farm in Ireland. Yes, and horses as well. Okay. So I and like now, an adventure. And now as you're leaving in your second <laughs> year, you're off to uh, teach in London, England. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, and you might be coming back next year? Hopefully. I'd love to. I know the semester goes a bit later there, yeah. but it would be ideal if I could come back. Right on. For sure. And um, so what is it that you um, just maybe explain the what the what it's been like being the crew leader, the jobs that you're doing at the marsh, just your overall thoughts about... Um, mm-hmm the crew and all that stuff yeah so working at the marsh has been amazing i think it's such a cool opportunity to like um share about nature with the public and also learn more about it myself with the bird iding and everything and then when it comes to like maintaining the marsh area um I think it's fun to always get to work outside. And the crew this year has been really great. We have some serious artists. Sophia and Emma have done lots of painting for us, which has been incredible. And they're all very hard workers. Uh, Emma, Sophia, Caitlin, Kristen, yeah, they've all been amazing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool, and uh, the other thing that um, Elisa's been amazing at, our net lanes constantly need to be fed wood chips. They seem to eat wood chips. So, yeah. um, so mm-hmm. you managed to get the kids to enjoy it and <laughs> have a big impact. So, and over the two years, you've had a great impact on well, on the you. marsh, and things always uh, look great. And it's kind of um, it's kind of an interesting thing because um, the crew is doing more maintenance in mm-hmm. July, yeah. and they help. They essentially become part of the extraction and banding crew yes. at the marsh. So, mm-hmm. so they get best of both worlds, I guess you can say. But yeah, great learning opportunity for all of us to yep. start extracting birds, banding. Yeah. So, yeah. so the other thing that people may have picked up when um, Elisa was going through the names of the crew members this year for the first time ever, we had an all... Uh, all female crew. <laughs> yeah, we which, do. And it seemed like everybody got along really well. Yeah, so, definitely. So maybe this, maybe this should be a model. Yeah. <laughs> we use moving forward, and maybe it'd be really neat if all the kids um, came back. But mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's neat for me to see too because Emma uh, did her co-op in the spring right. and got on the crew. Kristen as uh, a graduate of Kearns Public School and the School of Flock. Um, so it was neat mm-hmm. to see um, to see her. So, and Caitlin uh, was banding here in the spring. So there's yeah. like everybody had um, a connection and Sophia had done some volunteering right, um, okay. in the winter before she came. So that was, um, so, cool. so it's kind, kind of neat that, uh, that uh, we, we went with that. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you'd like to talk about with the relation to the crew? I, I mean, I'm just impressed with like how well they've done and Caitlin so impressive because this is her first year banding and her yep. IDing and everything is so yep. impressive to me. Cool. Like sometimes I turn to her, I'm like, and eh, what do you think about this bird? <laughs> and <laughs> but, I guess for you too, it's kind of neat because you were telling me that uh, when you were at Trent, you were studying tree swallows. Yeah, I was a research assistant for one of the professors and he research tree swallows so I did that for six field seasons and um, so I've always been interested in nature and then I wanted to come back up here so I could spend time with my grandpa who lives in Kearns and I remembered um, my grandma a long time ago talking about the marsh and like how you worked with birds and everything before she passed away and so then I reached out to you and then that's how I got connected and that's how I ah, work here. Very yeah. cool. Neat. Mm-hmm. And we are very fortunate <laughs> to have had you for the two years and 
uh, we'll be hoping it works out that you can be back yes, next year. that would be so good. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Elisa. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Right on. Okay, Lucy, how long have you been coming out to the marsh? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. How old was I when I started out here? Uh, how old was Lucy when she first started coming to the marsh? Uh, diapers. Uh, yeah. Like, no, um, grade, <laughs> I was in grade four. Yes. In my class in grade four. So I, Before it, that? It was in grade two I started. Yeah. So did she, so. when we were banding kestrels, she fell asleep in the back oh, of the car? She yeah. Grade Kristen. one? Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, it was probably grade two. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I forgot that she did totally after school yeah. fell asleep. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I was small back then. Yes. <laughs> and so how old are you now? I am 12 turning 13 soon. 12 turning 13. Wow. So and she's I'm, in grade, I'm going into grade eight. So that's right on. And uh, Lucy's favorite thing to do, um, often her mom will drop her off at the marsh. And then we... Boss you guys around. That's when... Boss, yes. <laughs> and then I take Lucy home and she is very concerned about the fuel gauge. Okay, so y'all, what Murph does is if he is running low, like half a quarter of a tank, he doesn't fill it up. And he waits until he brings me home. And then I'm panicking the whole way home. Because, and then I tell him, 32 kilometers, 31 kilometers. <laughs> we went to get wood one day. That was a... Uh... Right on. So so Lucy um, is our wetland hero. Yeah. So, so Ducks Unlimited has a program where they recognize people that have uh, local impact. And uh, so Lucy was our wetland hero. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how I got here, but you know. <laughs> so at, at some point, maybe we... We should, I got to. we should take a holiday and go to Okamak Marsh uh, Ducks yeah. Unlimited's uh, headquarters. Because I met Kate when... That's right. Yeah. Yeah, when Kate was here I for, felt, our, like for our opening. I feel like a celebrity. She's like, oh my gosh, can I have a picture? I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel so special. <laughs> awesome. So what are you doing here today, Lucy? So today we have my business, Lewis and Poem. Check us out on Facebook. Um... We have succulents, earrings, mug rugs. I do polymer clay earrings and wire work with them. I do custom jewelry. You can also take orders on Facebook. Um, I also do mug rugs. I work for your mug for like little coasters. I do bags, pillows. I'm getting into quilts. You're I've doing done, quilts? I've done my second one. Your second quilt? Well, how, I'm how? half finished it. Is it like a regular size bedspread no, it, quilt? No, it's a, like a lap quilt it's for my... Uh, stepsister's wedding. Wow! That was last year. And what do you? Um, is that like just um, like material, right? That's yeah. Not it's like macrame or something. No, okay. I'm not that talented yet. No, you, no people don't do macrame quilts. What's that stuff? That, uh, like a rug hooking kind of thing. That's, that's knitting. Thing about not knitting. It's that like. It's used that crochet. crochet. There you go. Oh, I do that too. You do crocheting as well. But I'm. I've actually started a crochet quilt. I started it. Back in January, yeah. I haven't finished it yet, but it's still sitting in my room. Okay. So. so you're saying quilt, not kilt, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to come around the other side here, okay. and I'm seeing. Oh. Um, so can, those, are, those are our special marsh earrings for today. Those are yeah. specially made for today. Okay. How much are those? They're eight dollars. Okay. Um, I'm going to buy those for Christmas for Miss Goddard. Okay. okay. Can you like take those down right now? Okay, so these perfect. These ones. No, these these ones. She's because. She won't. Okay. Yeah, she she won't want the dazzles. Are you gonna put that in a box for me? Yeah. Oh I'll wow. Put a bag for you. Awesome. I, I didn't bring my boxes today. So. Okay, so I just uh, made a purchase. So how's sales been going? It's actually been going quite good. I've sold almost all of the special necklaces I made for today. Uh huh. So um. I put a little water to cotton here as well. So yeah, and the earring sales are still good, you know. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, and you also, um, a little bit about Lucy's background. Her mother has a organic farm. Yes, we and have two actually. Two of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, of course. Yeah, yeah, awesome. right. So what, uh, what would you, just tell us a little bit about that. So, it's... Okay, how long have we been doing that for? 11 years now? Almost 12, because I was like two, yeah, so 11 years. And we couldn't eat eggs or like anything store-bought that, you know, eggs or the meat from the store, we couldn't eat it anymore. So we decided to go organic and all of our neighbors thought, thought we were crazy, right? Like, you know, that's hard work, but 
um, we, it didn't actually, it wasn't supposed to blossom into the big, what it is now, but, you know, we've helped a lot of people overcome a lot of health issues with the food, and yeah, so it just kind of blossomed into this big business, which I think is kind of what drove me to make this business, is I saw how the books and I was actually the admin for a while for the farm. Oh, neat. And yeah, so it just kind of helped me make Lucy Poem. Right on. Yeah. That sounds very cool. And uh, Lucy has been helping us. She was one of our youngest extractors. So um, we were just talking earlier today that um, you're going to start coming out in September yeah. and uh, helping us out because uh, Lucy's uh, being homeschooled so she can. Um, take off a lot of her science objectives, I guess, as part yeah. of that. And, <laughs> and besides, I, I just did okay. for, for Joanne. And uh, yeah, so it, we're um, be delighted to have you coming back out. So yeah, I'm. I don't need a membership now. I'm a VIP. Is what I've called myself. Okay. It's a special card now. <laughs> it's a special. I, card. I don't know if you remember that last summer. I do remember that. Yeah. And the other thing I remember is Lucy. Whenever I had like a notebook open. She would just like put her name everywhere in it, or even on a calendar. Like any piece of paper was left, I would like open up a book, think I, got, I had all these pages, and say, Lucy, 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 Lucy. <laughs> yes, and you have left your mark at yes. the marsh. Yes. Awesome. Thanks, Lucy. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, awesome. Bye. Um, <laughs> so, in uh, signing off, I'd like to thank all the people that uh, participated in the podcast um, knowingly, and many people that. Uh, uh, we caught their sound and excitement uh, while they were here. I uh, really want to thank all the vendors um, and artists that came out today. Um, and to thank our banding crew, all the volunteers, and all the volunteers that uh, put everything together. Uh, it was an awesome day. Um, I've mentioned this uh, before on a previous podcast, how uh, when we were thinking about getting the... Um, uh, the marsh as a research center and to do public education. This is the kind of day that I envisioned. Um, just listening to the peals of laughter, screams of delight from the kids and uh, some adults as hummingbirds were being released. Um, just the joy in seeing birds, the joy of kids catching aquatic creatures um, and the funny farm bringing uh, uh, their animals out um, despite having one guinea pig escape uh, hopefully they uh, refound the, the poor guy uh, but uh, yeah it was a delightful day um, and today we checked out some new uh, high-tech equipment from our technical wizard from BMAX Studios Ben McPherson um, and I just uh, before signing off I just want to um, uh, remind people that we are uh, a charitable organization. We depend on, uh, and we're a membership organization, so we depend on memberships and donations. Uh, we can issue charitable receipts, so this will allow us to keep our uh, education and public outreach going to teach people about the importance of wetlands and bird conservation. So your support is needed and appreciated. And so that's it for this episode. Signing off from the Hilliard Marsh, Bird is the Word.